Matthew and chapter 5. You shall not commit adultery. This is one of the Ten Commandments, as you know, and God gave this to His people as recorded in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. And that instruction, you shall not commit adultery, at one time that was held to be right and good by the vast majority of people here in Ireland. What does it refer to? Well, it refers to the God-given commandment that marriage between a man and a woman is the only place for sex, and so the command not to take sex outside those boundaries. You shall not commit adultery. Now, it isn't news, nor is it an exaggeration to say that our society has, to a very large extent, decided to move in a direction, a wholesale direction, away from that commandment. That's no surprise. Now, those who Jesus spoke to here in Matthew 5, in this Sermon on the Mount, they had heard the commandment too. Look at verse 27 here. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And yet, even those who heard and read and understood these laws and commandments given to God, to His people, given by God to His people, well, they had also moved away. They had moved in a direction away from what was intended. Well, how, you might ask, did first century Jews, how had they moved from it? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're mentioned in verse 20 here of chapter 5, they had moved in a direction of rule-keeping. Rule-keeping. As if God's laws and commandments were merely an outward, keeping the rules kind of exercise. An exercise that they could proudly tick off as done and dusted. Now, as Jesus teaches about what it means to follow Him, Remember the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's like. This is what it's like to be part of that kingdom. Jesus moves in a different direction. Now, get this. He's not moving with society away from any mention of the seventh commandment, except to say how repressive it is. No, that's not the move he's making. And he's not moving in the direction of his contemporaries either, who only seem concerned with a mere self-righteous rule-keeping. That's not the direction. But what we're seeing here in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus moves in a new direction towards fulfilling the law. Look back at chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said he'd come to fulfill the law. And then in this section, six times he says the same thing. He says, you have heard it said, or something like that, and then he goes on to repeat what he says at the start of verse 28. Look what he says. But I say to you, I, Jesus, I say to you, this is what you've heard, but I say to you. Now, if you're a Christian, the challenge from the Lord Jesus Christ is to follow him as he speaks. But I say to you, the challenge is to follow his teaching, his teaching with authority that leads in this new direction. And whether you've been following society or even whether you've been stopping at a mere outward observance, 
Matthew has already shown that Jesus is the rightful king. And so the challenge to us, will I follow his direction? Now, if you're not really a Christian, I hope you're going to hear in these verses not just a repetition of a commandment from a long, long time ago, but I hope you'll hear a very profound call that echoes throughout this part of Matthew's gospel, a call that says, come and follow Jesus Christ. Come and follow the direction that he leads in. So there's where we're going. And so firstly, Jesus calls us to take a new direction on purity, verses 27 and 28. Take a new direction. Follow Jesus when it comes to purity. Let's read from 27. You have heard it said, it was said, Jesus said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says that keeping this commandment isn't just a matter of rule keeping. And then he makes the point that um, the disciples, yes, of course, they shouldn't commit adultery, yes, but they should go much deeper than just that. You see, this commandment Jesus is insisting was about purity. See the direction it's heading in. And so that even looking in a lustful way and intent at another person is just like breaking that commandment. Committing adultery with her in his heart is how Jesus puts it. And so even if we might feel smugly that, well, we aren't actually committing adultery, Jesus tells us that this is an issue of looking, of imagination, and intent. And that is interesting. Not just a rule-keeping exercise, but an issue of looking, of imagination, and intent. And you see, that goes much deeper, doesn't it, than an act of adultery. The law itself was pointing in the direction of purity. And so that Jesus says, even your lust can be shown up as or labeled as adultery. Isn't that a shocking direction in all of this? Isn't it one that calls Jesus' followers to do something deeper than just doing what the commandment says because it says it? Now, as we hold that in our minds, I want you to remember the very start of this section in chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Look back to verse 3 of chapter 5. Remember what Jesus said right at the start of this teaching? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you remember those verses at the start? You see, Jesus' disciples are those who recognize what? Spiritual bankruptcy. Jesus' followers are those that say, I'm going to need God's grace on a daily basis as I strive to live for him. That's who they are, the poor in spirit. That's the kind of people who follow Jesus. And so the challenge here is to follow his lead. There's where Jesus is going. The challenge is that we should follow in the direction of purity. You see, if we're Christians, we don't have a rule book to check off proudly. And sometimes we take that approach. Haven't done that one. Haven't done that one. 
and we check off in a proud way. No, no, we have a king to follow humbly. And there's a big difference. We don't have a rule book to check off proudly. We have a king to follow humbly as he leads us in a truly amazing new direction away from lust and sex in all the wrong contexts towards purity. I want us to see that this is really good news. This is quite startling in the world we live in. We have a good and right and helpful and pure direction from God himself in the most difficult minefield of life struggles. Isn't that amazing? There is good news. And and given that society around us um, has not just moved in a direction away from the seventh commandment, it's not just that. It's not just that society says you don't have to keep the commandment, but our society deliberately invites us on a minutely basis to celebrate and treat ourselves to as much lust as we can get our eyes on. So don't we need this new direction? Don't we need it? You'll have read that the tech companies are shedding jobs this month. But you know what they're not doing? They're not shedding their intent, from whatever motive, to entice us through their algorithms, through our lookings, through our imaginations. They're not shedding that. Don't we need a new direction? We need to take a new direction on purity and follow Jesus. And honestly, just ask yourself as you sit here, which direction am I moving in? Or more specifically, whose direction am I listening to on these things? No set of news headlines you read these days is without some terrible report or crime or activity where people have, well, they've headed in their own direction in this whole area. In a way that has, and notice this, in a way that has not led to human flourishing and fulfillment. That's the sad part. They've listened to their own instinct and intent and direction, and it has not led to flourishing and happiness and fulfillment, but instead to terrible pain and loss for both themselves and others. Have you ever thought about the casual way that TV and movie makers, they treat marriage and adultery but it never portrays the sheer carnage of sex beyond God's design. Carnage brought to families and people and society. But Jesus offers a new direction. And you know, for Christians, we have the king's direction on this. Let's take it. Now, if you're struggling, or perhaps just now confronted in this area of lust or purity, why don't you take just these minutes to recognize it And then simply ask God for his forgiveness and take a new direction on purity. But then there's something else here because we need to look at the kind of drastic action Jesus tells us to take where sin is concerned. Have a look where these verses go to next. Jesus says, if your right eye, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members then your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So as well as this call to take a new direction on purity, 
What's Jesus urging on his followers here? Well, well, it's this. He's saying, adopt a new attitude on sin, towards sin. Take a new attitude on sin. And, And you can really sense the seriousness of it to Jesus, can't you, from his perspective. And it's such a contrast to what, as we've seen, the lightheartedness and the casualness that's often the tone of a discussion where adultery specifically or sin in general is concerned. Jesus makes the point that dealing with sin in this area is going to require a new, more radical approach from anyone who follows him. Now, where adultery is concerned, we saw in the last couple of verses that looking what had that done? The eyes. Looking had opened up the imagination to lust and to intent. And so if this is a problem, get rid of the eye. But what about your hands? Now, the hands are a part of the body associated with doing, even with stealing. Get rid of them. And then maybe the biggest shock here in these verses. Living in days where sin is laughed at and shrugged at, look at the twice mention of hell at the end of verse 29 and verse 30. Now, taking the language literally as an instruction to actually take out your eye, remove your eye, your offending eye or your hand, that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is getting at. That's what the language says, but what is he saying? Well, what about the left and left behind behind eye, if you get rid of the right one? What about the left and left behind hand. What about the left behind imagination after we're done with all the cutting? You see, Jesus is urging his followers to something else, to deal radically, not with parts of their bodies, although that's the, the shock of the language. He wants them to deal radically with sin. That's the new attitude he wants his disciples to get, to adopt. Sin is not a plaything, Jesus says. It's not a private matter for my own decision-making, for my own direction in life. No, no, it's something so serious, Jesus says, that hell is always the prescribed punishment. Isn't that shocking? Here's what Don Carson says. Carson writes, We are to deal drastically with sin. We must not pamper it, flirt with it, Enjoy nibbling a little bit of it round the edges. We are to hate it, crush it, dig it out, put it to death, and put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. It's true, isn't it? There's no middle ground here for a a playing around. But you see, again here, we need to remember the good news of the gospel, the gospel according to Matthew the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus calls us to follow him, and he graciously invites those who recognize that spiritual poverty, those who are completely exposed by his words, those who mourn for their sin. He says, come and follow me. Come and take this direction. Jesus, the one who gives new direction with an amazing kingly authority. He's the one who's offering grace and forgiveness, salvation to those who bring nothing but our sin to the table. Isn't that amazing in the light of the gospel? When we admit we are nothing and have nothing, we gain everything. 
Just look back at verse 3 of chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, nothing, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They gain everything. Let's remember the gospel as we read these verses. We have nothing. We bring nothing to the table. Not even a compliance with these laws ticked off. I haven't done that or that. No, no, we bring nothing, but Jesus gives us everything. This is the kingdom he has for us. And then as we respond to his gracious forgiveness, this is the gospel. As we respond to his new direction in our lives, this is good news. There can be a deeper and radical new obedience that comes out of that. It's, it's marvelous. So why don't we respond? Why don't you respond to Jesus the King? Take this new attitude where sin is concerned. You know your heart. You've seen where lust and adultery and sin lead to. Let's take this new direction. And, and also remember this. You see, to live as a Christian is to move beyond lifeless rule-keeping, as if that would ever do us any good. It's not about rule-keeping. Instead, it's towards life that, that is free from something that the world convinces us is inevitable. The ugly, complicated, heartbreaking mess when sex is taken out of its rightful context. You know, Christians at many levels win an escape from that. We get to move beyond that with their forgiveness and the hope and the graciousness of Christ and the gospel. If you're a young Christian, as you listen in today, maybe you're at the start or you're in the middle of decisions in this whole area of sex and sexuality, I want you to listen very carefully to this. The gospel provides an amazing vision for you, for your life, as you follow Christ's gracious direction. Here's a new vision for your life. And it won't spoil your fun, and it won't curtail your freedom. In fact, it's the very, very opposite. If you're young in the faith, choose Jesus Christ's direction on this. Adopt his attitude to sin. And if you're older, as some of us are, get back in the game. Get back to the gospel. Get back to taking that attitude towards sin and that direction towards purity. Well, finally, you'll have noticed that we come to verses 31 and 32, and we can see the same formula. It was said, but I say, and it's linked here, isn't it, even in the way that verse 31 is put. It was also said, Jesus says, so he's linking these things together. Have a look at verses 31 and 32. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is giving his direction again here. And he says that as, as well as the Old Testament showing that lust is an equivalent to adultery, that was the previous verses. The same thing can be said for divorce. So we're going to need to understand the impact of divorce. That's thirdly where these verses are taking us. Understand the impact of divorce. And in, in the understanding of that impact, 
we're going to truly see something else related to the first set of instructions. We're going to see the sanctity, the preciousness of marriage. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage. There's a quotation from Deuteronomy, and Jesus even goes into this topic of divorce a little bit later on in Matthew's gospel in chapter 19. In fact, the Bible says quite a lot on the topic, and I'd be happy to talk to you more on this if you'd like to chat to me at some stage. But look at here. Look what's happening. Jesus is seeming to allow one concession. What is it? Well, it's sexual unfaithfulness in a marriage. But apart from this, he wants his followers to get a bigger vision of this, the bigger picture. He said, don't see the availability of divorce, but see the sanctity of marriage, what God has set up. That deep commitment to each other before God that sticks at it for the long haul. Again, the cultural tide brings us in a direction so far from that. It's really hard even for Christians to see the true devastating impact of divorce. As well as taking a new direction on purity, let's adopt a better, biblical even, attitude to sin. And let's properly understand both the impact of divorce and the, the wonder of the Bible's high view of marriage. Have you noticed when things go wrong in one of the big companies out there and they realize they're in over their heads, what do they do? Have you ever read the newspapers in the business section? Maybe you skip over those. But what do big companies do when they're struggling and on their knees? They look for new direction and they look for new leadership. Well, look at the twisted wreckage around us. Look at the sex and adultery and divorce, all the reality of that in our culture, even in the church, wreckage that can be so close to home for some of us. Well, the gospel, according to Matthew, shows us the vision and the standard and the forgiveness and graciousness of this amazing kingdom we can be part of. New direction. Christ, new leadership, Christ, all by God's gracious provision in the Lord Jesus. Do you know what? In that botched situation we find ourselves in, let's resign our botched control of things. Follow his direction. Well, why don't I pray for us? Father, we admit that these topics are so complicated and difficult and twisted both in culture and even in our thinking. But we cry out to you for your wisdom on this. And as we look here in your gospel, as we look at, at what Jesus said, we thank you for these words of comfort in the fact that he gives us the direction. He helps us, graciously offers us the new attitude and helps us to understand these things from your perspective. Father, help us all as we deal in these things today, this week, this month, this year. Father, give us a new direction, a new vision. Would you direct us where we've got mixed up or turned around or where we're just finding our own resources 
absolutely limited in this whole area. And so we cry to you. We come back to the gospel. What a wonderful gospel it is. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and his teaching. Help us as a church to help each other, even as we think through the implications of what we've been hearing about. Lord, teach us, we pray. Would you be our vision? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's our song. It's